Welcome to the Catholic Sportsman Show. I'm Paul Michelini along with my co-host Randy Leah, and we are really excited to talk to Coach Lou Holtz today. And before we get started, we want to start with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, on this Feast of the Presentation, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon all of us today in our conversation. And we're so grateful for Coach's time with us. And uh, we ask you to send, um, like I said, the Holy Spirit to be with us in our conversation. We ask Our Lady's intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Sebastian, patron saint of Christian athletes. Pray for us. Blessed Carlo Acutis, the technical blessed of the Catholic Sportsman Show. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. We have Coach Lou Holtz here today. Uh, Coach Holtz uh, was married to his beloved wife, Beth, for uh, 59 years and has four children. And uh, Coach uh, was a college and pro head coach and television analyst and inspirational speaker. And he's also the author of 10 books. So welcome, Coach Holtz, to the Catholic Sportsman Show. Thank you. Delighted to be there. And after that prayer, I'm sure the program will be successful. Amen. Coach Holtz, will you please share the intersection between faith and sports in your life? I don't think you can separate them. I was uh, raised a Catholic. Both sides of our family were Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, and that, that was really the basis of my faith to start with. And then you carry it into athletics, of course. You always pray for that you'll perform well, you'll do this, you'll do that. But most important thing, you can't take your faith that you might have in God and not take it with you when you go on the athletic field or where you wherever you go, whatever you do. Your faith is part of it. Uh, our priorities have always been, number one, our faith. And uh, my wife coincided with that. That was our number one priority. Number two priority was our family. And uh, I don't care what you achieve in this world. I don't care how much money you make. If you are successful as a husband and a father, you've really failed this world. Then our, our, our third thing was responsibility besides our faith, our family, was my occupation, which happened to be a football coach. That that was our third prayer. But that didn't take precedence over our faith and our family. Those are the two most important things in our life. And and this coach, as as a father, coach, and leader, if you were encourage someone to develop a, a virtue in their life, what would you tell them to cultivate? I tell them the most important thing is the same thing I taught our children and our athletes, and that is to make good choices. Wherever you are in this world, because of choices you make, you choose to do drugs, drop out of school, join a gang, get tattoos from head to bottom, choose to get arrested, you're choosing to have difficulty in life, and please stop blaming me. I didn't make those choices. 
And, and we taught our children that choices have ramifications. If I wrote another book, it'd be on all the freedoms we've lost in this country since I was a young man. I rode the back of a car and never wore a seatbelt, uh, rode a bike without a helmet, uh, rode the back of a truck standing up. Uh, everybody in the neighborhood had a BB gun and we shot at one another. Now, we also understood that that was a freedom we had to choose. But we had to live with the ramifications. If we made an accident or got hurt, we couldn't blame it on anybody else. That was a choice we made. And accept the ramifications of your choices. We always want other people to be held accountable for the bad choices we make. And wherever you are, good or bad, are because of choices you make. If you don't like where you are today, it's because you made bad choices. And you and you alone can change your situation and your future by making bad choices. And the way you make good choices, you follow three rules. I've had three rules for 45 years. Same rules I had for my athletes and for our children. And my greatest accomplishment by far is not coaching, not speaking on TV, is my family. And uh, I, I'm very proud of them. And we're still very close family to this day, even without my wife. But you, you have to understand that it's all about choices you make. And how do you make good choices? You do the right thing. And doing the right thing it isn't real difficult, but it is hard sometimes. There's never right time to do the wrong thing. There's never wrong time to do the right thing. So it's right also to uh, follow the rules and regulations of this country. We have laws. You honor the laws. That's the right thing to do. Why I don't like that law, that's not relevant. It's a law you elected the individual. They passed the law. You don't like it. I'd like somebody else to change it. Rule number two. Do everything the very best of your ability. Not everybody can be All-American. Not everybody can be All-Conference. Not everybody can be First Team. Everybody can be the best they're capable of being. And uh, not everybody can be an A student, but everybody can be the best they're capable of being. That's all I want. It, it just be the best you can be. And the third rule is the most important one, babe. Show people you care. I'm an old man, and my birthday candles cost more than cake, but the one thing I've learned as you go along, that you're never going to meet anybody again and then need a smile, a kind word, an encouragement. Everybody's got problems. You always think, oh, I reach this stage, I won't have any problems. That's nonsense. Problems is part of your life. And it's being able to handle the problems and cope with them that determines your happiness. It's not complicated. We're not talking about nuclear physics. Exactly. That, that's, that's great. Coach, what is the most rewarding aspect of coaching and the most challenging aspect? Well, that's a great question. I don't know if I could answer it in this hour, but to me, you can make a lot of money, and uh, but when you die, that ends. When you're coaching, you have a chance to be significant, and significant is when you help other people be successful, and that lasts many a lifetime. Now, I happened to coach for a guy by the name of Woody Hayes, learned a great deal about him. He has since passed away, but he still lives, or his philosophy and his beliefs still live, because he influenced me. And I think that I probably influenced Barry Alvarez and Bonnie Kiffin and uh, Pete Carroll, uh, and go on and on. And uh, so you, you have a chance to really help people be successful. And that's by 
giving them the right kind of guidance, having the right rules and regulations, and also having the discipline part of their life. See, discipline is not what you do to somebody. Discipline is what you do for somebody. And you have to have discipline in your life to be able to say, I'd like to do that. But life is not about doing what you like. Life is doing what you have to do as a father, as a husband, whatever else the case may be, as well as, as a coach. So that's always the, the greatest compliment is to be called a coach or a teacher. The people that influenced my life most were my coaches. And, of course, I had a couple of great teachers along the way, both college and high school. And uh, the negative part is having to tell somebody that you are going to be able to start or you are going to play or you are going to make the trip. And while my parents are going to be there, they come to school with great anticipation and being successful and doing all these different things. And all of a sudden they come. And they aren't the star anymore. There's 75 other athletes that can run and jump and do different things. But they have to learn to handle that. And I think one of the worst things happens to college today is a transfer portal. You pick a school, not for four years. That's a four-year decision you make. And you say, I'm going to that school because I want the contact with the alums. I want the education. I want to. Uh, I'll probably meet the girl I'm going to marry, whatever else the case may be. But today, everybody is so impatient. We have quarterbacks that are starting for their fourth different team in four years. That's ridiculous. That doesn't help an individual. When you transfer, all you do is change the address of your problems. That's my belief. You learn to be patient. You learn to improve your talents, your skills, your ability. And you get yourself ready when your opportunity comes. We had a quarterback named... Uh, Rick Meyer, who played behind Tony Race, and then he was ready to lean, and he did a great job. But we then had a quarterback behind him by the name of Kevin McDougal from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Kevin sat there for three years, basically on the pitch. He was a backup quarterback, but Rick Meyer was never injured and was always a starting quarterback. Going into his senior year, I didn't know how good Kevin McDougal was. I tried to replace him. But it just never worked out. He became our quarterback in Notre Dame until recently owned all the passing records in Notre Dame. We went 11-1. He did a tremendous job, a great quarterback. But yet, that would have never happened with the transfer portal. And you learn to be patient. You learn to find your type. And you also understand you get a bonding with your teammates. You know, great players come and go. Great teammates last a lifetime. And being a great teammate is more important than being a great player. And you learn as much on the bench as you do anywhere else. And you get there four years. If somebody played for me for four years, I'd say to them, you do what I asked you to do for four years. I'll do what you asked me to do for the next 40. And thank God the 40 are almost up because they're wearing me out. But you just have a relationship with the player. But you also understand that the decisions you make may be disappointing to them, but it's going to be in their best interest in the long run. And that's what you have to remember. You have an obligation. You say, boy, uh, that young man came here and he's not being as good as he should be. That That's my fault. I've never tried to mislead an individual that you're going to have a starting position. You're going to do this. Because then when they come to your school and they find out you misled them, they're going to lose their trust in you. And if you don't have the trust of the players, 
you have absolutely no chance to be successful. And if an individual chose to go somewhere else, I would say, dog, gee, I'm sorry to hear that because I think you're going to be a great athlete. I think you're going to be a great player. I think you're going to do a phenomenal thing. And if you aren't starting by your freshman year, they're filing you up. Their job being real fairly. I want them to go to that other school with great expectation. Mm -hmm. But you have to be honest with people so that you always have their trust. And that goes back to doing the right thing. Because if you do what's right, you're always going to have trust with people. And the coach has to be able to trust the players. But the players have to be able to trust the coach as well. And not real complicated. Right. You can't take it with you, but the impact you make on your players and, and coaches and last generations forever, their families. So it's super important. Absolutely right. People are in coaching and why they're in teaching. Right. Right. So, Coach, how did you um, bring together like people with different faiths, people, different backgrounds, different intensity of faiths to, to gel as one unit as a team? Well, at different schools, you did a little bit different. At Notre Dame, obviously, you did it maybe different than you, you did at Arkansas. Because at Notre Dame, we had a team mass, et cetera. And so when you're recruiting a young man, and he may be a, uh, he may be a Muslim, uh, he may be a Catholic, he may be a uh, Methodist, I don't know. But you're honest with him. He said, now, we're not going to try to convert you to Catholicism. But there's a tradition at Notre Dame that we have a team mass. And I expect you to go and attend that team mass every week here at Notre Dame. Now, you don't have to take part in the service, but you have to show uh, respect for it. And I never had a problem uh, along that line. When we had in the mass, there's a Catholic mass. I said, let's exchange the side a peace with one another. I'll tell you right now, I wish you could be in our team mass when they start hugging one another. And sometimes it takes 10, 15 minutes because they go hug everybody in the doggone roof. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, that just I, your, your faith is up to you, but you're going to respect other people's faith. And it's like the Catholics versus convicts. <laughs> I said to the media, that's not fair. Not all our team was Catholic. As a matter of fact, we had some people that work at it, but it didn't bother me. As long as you show respect for somebody else's faith, and, and I don't know how anybody gets by without a faith in God. That, that's just my honest opinion. I feel that way to this day. Having a faith in God doesn't mean you aren't going to have problems. You aren't going to have difficulty. As a matter of fact, you're going to probably have more of them. But it gives you the courage and the intelligence to be able to handle the problems and the difficulties that come your way. Right. Give you something, some sort of basis to, to lean on, right? Or you're just flailing about by yourself. Amen. Yeah. Uh, coach, would you like to share some of your favorite memories as a player or as a coach that helped you um, develop as a person? Well, I, there are many of them, but the one that, I remember that I haven't talked much about. I'm a junior at Kent State University in our motto was, we can't read, we can't write, but we are Kent State. And it was in January, and I get a call from my mom. 
said, we need you to come home this weekend. Well, I hadn't planned on going home that weekend, but she wanted me to come home, so I thumbed. That's how you got back and forth to school. You thumbed. And I came home, and my parents informed me. Now, remember, I'm like 20 years of age that they were getting a divorce. And what a traumatic effect that has on you. Your parents are getting a divorce, and the one thing, the best advice I ever got was, Never say anything negative about your wife or to my wife in front of our children. That you constantly praised your mother. That they gave them a sense of security and that everything's going to be okay. All of a sudden, it's taken away from me. And so I had to thumb back to Kent State on Sunday night. Remember, now it's January and I'm thumbing back. I get a ride. And instead of going through Salem, Ohio, they took me out towards Warren because it was closer, but they were going elsewhere. I was let off on the Ohio Turnpike, right there on Route 5. I'll never forget. It's a long, long freeway, so to speak. And you're out there thumbing a car. You know, they're just going by. Nobody stopped because they're going 70 miles an hour when they, they approach you. And it started to snow. And there I am, cold. Miserable, nothing, no money in my pocket, stranded in Warren, Ohio on Route 5. And a car came by with two guys. They went in and got something to eat. They came back out. I'm still there. And hmm. they said, where are you trying to go, son? I said, I'm trying to get to Kent State. I got to get back to college. And they said, well, we'll take it. Now, it was snowing, but it wasn't deep snow, but it wasn't very ideal conditions either. I got in the car. You didn't think twice about it. You got in the car, two men that you never met before. And we talked. And they took me to my fraternity house and dropped me off. And I said to them, what can I do to repay you? They said, do something for somebody else and think of us. Mm. Now, here's mm. a guy. His parents are just going through a divorce. I'm stranded on Route 5. It's snowing. I'm cold, and I feel like I don't have a friend in the world. I feel like everything dropped out of my life with my parents telling me they're going to go get a divorce. And I thought about that many times, that when I would get down and depressed, I'd say, hey, it wasn't as bad as it was standing on Route 5 in the middle of January with it snowing, but it's just helping people care by it. And I don't know, you say, well, God sent two angels. I don't know if they were angels to me, but they lifted me up when I really, truly needed it, when I felt that nobody cared. That beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Any other memories, Coach, that you'd like to share from your playing or coaching days? Well, the most memorable one, I'm in South Carolina, and we're getting ready to play Bowling Green, coached by uh, Urban Meyer, who coached for me at Notre Dame. And we are having a pretty good year. And then it was on 9-11 when the planes crashed in the building. I walked out of a staff meeting to get a cup of coffee or Diet Coke, and the secretary said an airplane just flew into the tower buildings. I thought, well... It was just a small airplane, made a mistake, you know, 
so be it, no big deal. Next time I come back out, she said it happened again. Well, then everybody gets around TV. They canceled all the games. There's not going to be any game that week. So we didn't play that week. The following week, we were playing on Thursday night at Mississippi State in Starkville, Mississippi on ESPN, which meant we would be the first game played after 9-11. We'd be the first team to travel by air after 9-11. Well, we had trouble with the airplane being late and couldn't get there. So we had to spend Wednesday night in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and would fly there the day of the game. So everything's all changed and found up. But we always had a, a chaplain with us, and we always had a uh, moment where we would pray, et cetera, and Adrian Dupree was the chaplain. And I'll never forget, we're at the chaplain's service, and he said, gentlemen, he said, last Saturday, two airplanes flew into the tower buildings, and a lot of brave firemen and police went into a burning building and saved people's lives. He said, can you imagine the courage it would take to go into a burning building to save somebody? And can you imagine how great you'd feel knowing you saved somebody's life? He then said to him, gentlemen, think how much greater it is to save somebody's soul. He said to save somebody's life for a matter of years, to save somebody's low soul is for a lifetime. And uh, it was just a tremendous experience, something I've never forgotten. And often mm. I passed that on to many a priest or chaplain. The greatest sermon I ever heard was by Adrian Dupree. And we went on, we, we won the game at Mississippi State. So, but I, I remember that very vividly. Yeah, that's a very powerful story. And coach, we should also mention you you won the national championship at Notre Dame in 1988. Congratulations. That was an awesome achievement. Very difficult. And screwed at 89, 90, 93, but I'm not bitter. Let us determine the championship on the field because we didn't lose a big game very often, but be that as a bay, it's just part of life and you move on. And my f- Self-image is not going to be determined by the number of games we won or anything else. It's going to be by how I treat other people, how I behave, how well I follow the three rules I recited earlier. That if I recite those three rules and follow them, my self-image will be good. Right. And I had one one more small sub-question to your coaching. When you were at South Carolina, you went through a a team season where you were 0-11. And... After that, you did, definitely the team went, did better the next year. How was that that process of going through that season and trying to get the team ready for the next year? Well, I had no intentions going back into coaching, but Mike McGee was the athletic director at Southern Cal when I was at Notre Dame. We went nine, one and one, I think, against him. And he became the athletic director of South Carolina. Called me and said, our program's in shambles. The conference is upset with us. Can you come help turn it around? So I went there. The first year was a disaster. You're right, we were 0-11. The records could be deceiving. 
really weren't as good as our record would lead you to believe. But the the problem that we had, we had one quarterback, Phil Petty, and he got injured in the third game, was out for the year, and now quarterback on scholarship had three offensive linemen on scholarships, and we really had no chance defensively. We played pretty well. But during the offseason, we went back to the basics. See, a football team goes through four stages, and same as a business. First thing you do, you learn to be competitive. And you learn to be competitive by doing the fundamentals. You learn to block and tackle and do little things. Everybody gets caught up in all the fancy. They just learn to block and tackle. Once you learn to be competitive, then you have to learn how to win. You learn how to win because you do little things the right way. Everybody does the big things. So I say the shoe, the nail was lost because the nail was lost. The shoe was lost because the shoe was lost. The horse was lost because the horse was lost. The rider was lost because the rider was lost. The battle was lost because the battle was lost. The war was lost. All over a little. Let's do the little things the right way. When you do little things, you win. Then you have to go through third stage. You have to learn to handle winning. Once you start winning, everybody forgets what it was like when the program was in shambles. Everybody's making fun of it, and everybody wants to take credit for it. Everybody just takes for granted you're going to win. But once you learn to handle winning, you go through the fourth stage. You learn to be a championship team. You learn to be a championship team when your players take charge of the culture of the team. In other words, they don't wait for you to correct the young man. They get on one another. That's not the way we do things here, whatever else the case may be. So you have to go through those four stages. So my, what really changed it? I guess it was around June 5th or something. I've been there 18 months. I found out at 5 o'clock the two players were arrested for selling drugs. Now, can you imagine the publicity we're going to get? We got the longest losing streak. Now we got drug pushers. And they all were in summer school. They ate dinner at six. I said, I want a team meeting at seven. I go in that team meeting and I am really mad. And the reason I'm mad was I'd been there 18 months and they didn't trust me enough to tell me that was going on. That's what really bothered me that those three rules that they didn't trust me. And so I'm talking to the team, and everybody has a side seat. Freshman in the back, each year you move up. I'm talking to the seniors. And they don't say anything. And then a sophomore got up, Jonathan Martin. I'll never forget. He got up and said, Coach, I trust you. He said, I believe it. I trust you. Looked around the room, so a lot of my teammates I can't trust. You lie, you cheat, you steal, you do drugs. Then Andre Goodman played 11 years with the Denver Broncos, got up, defensive back, said, I agree with him. He said, I go take a shower. I got to lock my locker. You'll pill for everything I've got. What was obvious to me, there was no trust on that team. There was no commitment to excellence, and they really didn't care about anybody but themselves and their personal enjoyment. So I said to the manager, give me a sheet of paper. I said, I want you to write down tonight. All the things you did to violate the three rules, doing the right thing, doing the best, show people you care, it'll be confidential. You bring it back tomorrow when classes end at 2 o'clock. They came in the meeting. I said, follow me. We went out to practice field. Now, South Carolina had tradition. Every time they won a big game on the road, they put the 
little tombstone had the date, the name, the score of the opponent. Wasn't a very big graveyard. There just a couple of them there. I had a tombstone delivered this big blank. We dug a hole, put every one of those papers in, burned it, put that tombstone on top of it. We made agreement that no matter what happened in the past, it was over. But from that point forward, we were not going to have a teammate we couldn't trust, once committed, didn't care, and that would be their choice from that point on. But I would not have anybody on that team that I couldn't answer yes to those three questions. Well, I guess it was five months later, we beat Ohio State on January 1 in a bowl game. Bowling there, we beat Ohio State again on January 1. So it's just, we're not talking about nuclear physics or matching. It's yeah. all confidence on things you believe in. But fundamentals are important on little things the right way. Instead of, but build the culture of a team is when they take charge of it. They have a pride in what they're doing. Same thing's true in a business. If you're in a business, you can have all the uh, mission statements you want. But if your employees aren't on a mission, they're really worthless. So let's just make sure that we do the things that we need to do to be done. Yeah, trust each other, trust our authorities, and trust in God. I mean, that's... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to trust in God. <laughs> and if you are, as I used to say, if you aren't as close to God as you once were, I wonder which one moved. Yeah. Right. That's a good point, Coach. Coach, I was going to ask, how do you stay, how do you stay motivated and, and positive? Well, I, at my age, being positive is a little bit more difficult because mm. <coughs> I just celebrated the 22nd anniversary of my 65th birthday, which meant I'm 87. <laughs> I say that because a lot of people can't mm -hmm. figure out how old I am. That, but everybody needs four things in your life. Everybody needs something to do. And at my age, that's a little bit difficult sometimes. Second thing, everybody needs someone to love. And I lost my wife of 69 years, four years ago. And everybody needs someone to believe it. In my case, it's Jesus Christ. I believe in him. And the last thing you need is something to hope for, where you have a hope, this is what I want to accomplish. And if you don't have any hope, you haven't set your goals high enough or you have absolutely no goals, I think it's important to have things you want to do because if you don't have any goals, there's a rule of life, you're either growing or you're dying. The trees either grow or it's dying, so is grass, so is a football team, so is an individual. Is everything do? Am I trying to get better or am I trying to maintain? And you cannot maintain. And that's one of the problems I have at my age. But whatever I do, I try to do it to the best I can. I'm going to come out and do everything I can with this show. But I'm not going to worry. Uh, Father Hesburgh said something to me when he was 92. Mm -hmm. He was the one that hired me, a great individual, very smart. He said to me, I'm going to announce to the world you're the head coach of Notre Dame in a half hour. He said, I cannot announce to the world you're the leader of the Notre Dame football team. He said, I'll give you the title. The titles come from above. 
but I can't name you the leader. I said, what makes a leader? He said, you have to have a vision where you want to go. You have to have a plan how you're going to go there. You have to lead by example. You have to hold people accountable for the choices they make. But at 92, I'm visiting with me. He said, Lou, he said, I'm going to continue to do everything I can. I'm going to do it as well as I can. And I'm going to do it as long as I can. But I'm no longer going to worry about the things I can no longer do. I can't hit a golf ball today. Can't hit, can't cut the corner. And it's a great philosophy to have. Let's enjoy what we can do. Let's not worry about the things we can't do as we get older. As I said, 87, I'm definitely on the back nine. What are your thoughts from Notre Dame for next year? I, I think Notre Dame should be a very good football team. I think that, uh, number one, I think Marcus Freeman's the next coach. I think he'll do nothing but get better because what happens is when you hire an assistant coach who's never been a head coach, they know one phase of the game. Like, he knows defense. But the one thing I think that being a successful head coach, you got to be able to coach every position on that field. I felt I could coach the linebackers. I spent all my life coaching the secondary. I could coach offensive because that's the only way you can tell whether your assistants are doing what really truly needs to be done in order to be part of a great team. But he's a great motivator. He's an outstanding recruiter. And I think he understands Notre Dame. And he's got, I don't like the transfer portal. You know, we had a quarterback who was probably older than I am. Uh, played last year. This year we have the quarterback from uh, Duke, who's an excellent quarterback. But we also have good athletes coming back. We have as good a facility as anybody in the country. The only thing I worry about our schedule has gotten so diluted that we only have two or three games that we can really point to. Uh, when I went to Notre Dame, one of the things they said to me, we're going to play the most difficult schedule week in your range, and we expect to win. In 88, we beat six teams in the final top 10 of the poll. Wow. We beat three teams that were number one, or if they were number two, it's because we were number one. In 88, we beat seven conference champions. But the way it is now, that every week we, we were intimidated by anybody we could go home or away didn't bother us then we were used to playing very good teams but we also spent a lot of time going one against one if we were playing somebody it wasn't really a challenge we spent most of our time that week going one-on-one -on -one. that Derek Mays would be covered by uh, Todd Light. All of a sudden, you know, nobody on that Saturday is going to be any better than Todd Light. And next thing you know, Todd Light's covering Derek Mays, but they're in the pros. And so I think we only have two games this year that are questionable. Uh, one would be Florida State. I, we don't play a top 20 team in preseason, but Florida State could be pretty good. Uh, I like the coach there. I think he does a tremendous job. I visited with him, spoke to the quarterback club, watched him practice. He's really good. And Southern Cal should be 
pretty competitive, but you know, you don't know they're losing their quarterback as well. Uh, but the air of excitement each and every week with the student body and student body, they got their tickets and they would stand in line on Tuesday and spend Tuesday night there to get the tickets on Wednesday. And I would go to early mass and on the way to the office, I'd go buy Dunkin' Donuts and buy the donuts for the students. But there was an air of excitement. And they, you didn't have to worry about getting your team to practice hard because they knew from the first day. We opened up with Michigan every year. Bo Schenbecker, great coach, great person. And they were a great football team. So we knew that the first game, we better be ready to play because Bo could still win the conference. And we could. So we had to be ready. And we used that as a motivating factor, but more importantly, it was an atmosphere on that campus of how excited they were for a big game. Each and every week it was that way. Oh, wow. Hey, Coach, are you able to go back uh, periodically to visit or on the campus? Or Well, when they dedicated the statue to me, a lot of the athletes showed up and said, Coach, we'd like to start a organization called may turned out to be hopeless heroes which people played for me and as i always said you great players but be a more important be a great teammate and so i said yeah if you do as long as you do good things for others and i am so proud of what that group has done they've now hired a full-time fundraiser because no money no cause but Notre Dame only one time has given their outstanding alumni achievement award to an organization that was the Holtz's Heroes. And so that has been very, very good. And some of the things that they do is we run the food bank in like 59 cities, a couple of countries. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we offer scholarships to children of athletes who played. Maybe the most important thing we do, when we have an athlete pass away, which, you know, it's been about 35 years now, well, one player is assigned to that family. Their obligation is to make sure that the children have the necessary academic materials to go to school and do things, but also to let their children know what a special person their father was. You know, that your father was just a great player, but he's a great teammate and cared about people and was so proud of his wife. And, you know, just making the children feel, hey, I come from someone special. So there's just things like that they do. So, And we come back uh, for the second home game each and every year. I guess this year it will be the Louisville game will, will be that case then. So, We'll be back here for for that. Sounds great. And full transparency, Coach, Randy is a massive Notre Dame football fan. So he'll be rooting with you. <laughs> well, yes, I am. Very, Randy, you sound like a very intelligent guy. But as I used to always say, we're Notre Dame and you ain't. That uh, says the <laughs> poet. When we played somebody, I'd say, you know, they're going to be fired up. They're playing against Notre Dame and I had players against me say, 
Notre Dame didn't recruit me, but I'm going to school because we get to play against Notre Dame. And I'd say to them, they're going to be fired up. I, I said, I can only think of one thing more motivational than to have the opportunity to play against Notre Dame. The only thing yeah. to be more motivational is to be able to play for Notre Dame. So no matter how fired up they are, nobody should be fired up as you because you get to represent our lady on the dope. Oh, wow. And coach, is there any like special memory about the campus itself that you'd like to share about the. <laughs> now there, their name is such a beautiful campus. I used to say you come out of the office at midnight, you're tired, you're worn out, you're going home, it's snowing and it's June. <laughs> <And> you look <laughs> yeah. see our lady on, on the dome. I, I remember there was a young man by the name of Mike Rosenthal that went to Granger High School, which was where I lived. I lived in Granger. He's a great player. He's going to Michigan. I guess he wouldn't visit Notre Dame. So I finally prevailed upon him to get me a home visit. I go there. And the mother's sitting there, and she wasn't very happy. I could tell she wasn't even listening to what I said. I said, Miss Rosenthal, could you tell me what it is that bothers you about Notre Dame? She said, why should my Jewish son, son go to your Catholic university? He said, where else should he go? No matter where he is on campus, he can look up. He can see Our Lady on the Dome. Nobody, she's 100% Jewish. Nobody else could do that. He ended up coming to Notre Dame, made All-American, played, I don't know, 10, 11 years in the NFL. Wonderful young man, great leader, great person, great student, great competitor, but a great teammate. Oh, awesome. That's great. Thanks for that story. Well, Coach, you somewhat uh, talked about your foundation, but um, for any of our listeners, are there any uh, current or future projects that you'd like to share or, or talk about? <laughs> well, I, I wanted to write a book titled Freedoms I've Lost, but America First Policy has asked me to do a podcast. And what it is is on the culture of this country. You know, we've lost a lot of the culture about this country and things we stood for and things you did automatically. When I say a police officer, two policemen getting beat up by illegal immigrants and then giving the bird to everybody else, hey, that's not this country. It's not what we're about. I always say, when Notre Dame, we recruited you, we asked you to come to Notre Dame to become us. Don't come here to have us become you. I don't care how you wore your socks in high school. That's how we do it at Notre Dame. Uniform says we're all the same. Stand out by what we do and how we do it rather than how we look or how we stand out in a parent. And so I have a podcast. Uh, first one I had on was a guy named Frank Murphy. Great story. I, I my secretary can give you the information because I'll be doing another podcast. I did two a month, I guess it is. But Frank Murphy was a football player and got arrested in high school and put in jail for selling drugs, et cetera. And he gets out. Nobody gave him a chance. He's a pretty good player. So he goes to junior college and they wouldn't let him play. 
because he got arrested again for the same thing. And he just found God and had a lady that really led him to God and changed his life because many had changed the choices he made. And so he was found not guilty of the second charge, and they gave him a chance in a junior college, and he won the equivalent to the Heisman on it. And then Tony Junji gave him a chance to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he goes there, and he plays. And here's a guy that was in jail, no chance, found God, ends up in the NFL, and now his obligation or his project is to try to get athletes to be better fathers. You know, we all have youngsters in college saying, oh, I didn't have a father and I wish, but then they have three children out of wedlock on their own. What's going to happen to those children? I think it's just an obligation we have. So I wished I knew the information where you could link it up, but it's going to be an outstanding show because we're talking about what made this country great and what will keep it great in the future. Well, that's fantastic. So we can get the, in the show notes, coach, when we publish it, we can get the details for your podcast. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's We're great. all doing the same thing here. That's great. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast, I just talked, I think of something to say. Any Anything else, coach, you want to say about current projects? Uh, anything else going on? No, just uh, to get better, to get worse. Don't stay the same. And how could I improve my life? I hope everybody will say that. And to me, it starts with God. God doesn't make junk. If he, yeah. he turns mm-hmm. out good people. He put you here for a reason and gave you a talent. We all have different talents in different areas. Whatever talent he gave you, use it to help other people, period. Right. Right, exactly. And then, Coach, uh, before we close, um, we we just want to ask if there's anything else that you want to say, spiritual insights that uh, you just pr- provided or spiritual pep talks or anything um, as, as we close the show out. I, I think one of the more important things is to read the Bible each and every day. You don't have to read it long. Uh, at Notre Dame, I would read, uh, the Proverbs are team, you know, the 30 of them. And usually it's how long we're pre. Proverbs is how to get along with your neighbor. Psalms, how to get along with God. But it, it's just like anything else. You have to work at something. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't come easy. But it has to be important to you. If it's important to you, you'll find a way to have a relationship with God. Beautiful. Okay. All right, and Coach, we'll end in prayer, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Randy, you want to lead us in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time with the Coach Holtz. We ask your blessing upon him and his family and his witness to you, Lord Jesus. We pray for him on his back nine, that it's a successful one, that he keeps going. We pray for all of our listeners that are hearing us out there in podcast land. We pray that something that they heard today might lead them closer to you. We pray all these things 
through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Coach Holt, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No thank problem. you, Coach. Mm-hmm. God bless. Bye.